Thank you, Pastor Mark, for that prayer of supplication, your thoughtfulness in bringing us before the Lord in that time of lifting up our needs to our almighty and all-caring God. And Sister Amy, thank you for that beautiful rendition of uh, I Am Thine, O Lord. Uh, I really enjoyed that, didn't you? I, I tell you, I appreciate, I do, I appreciate the time and commitment that you put to preparing to bless us with the beautiful playing of the piano. Thank you and praise the Lord. As you turn in your Bibles to our launching off text in 2 Corinthians, and we'll be looking at chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, uh, and, and we'll be going from there and just let the Lord guide us as we talk about this idea of real Christianity. And I pray that the, the course of the message and, and what God will say through me to you and to me will, will result in what I consider to be fruitful examinations. Uh, taking consideration of our lives and you'll understand that as we read that passage there but before I do just kind of maybe set the tone or help you to get the gist of this I was thinking about some of the old t TV game shows panel game shows where you had panels on television and and as far back as I can remember one of those very popular television panel panel game shows was a program called to tell the truth and, and the panel consisted of, well, uh, four celebrities, and then they had the show's host, and then there were three contestants, and one of them, I would say, would be the primary contestant. And the primary contestant was somebody that had an unusual occupation, or maybe had experienced some unusual um, experience, or unique experience. The other two contestants were imposters. They were given the freedom to make up things, to say, you know, anything they wanted to, to try to dupe the panel, to thinking that they were the primary person. And it was just so interesting. I can see myself and my family gathered around because, after all, that was all the entertainment we had was that black and white television. We had all the tubes in the back of it. They had weighed about two tons. But anyway, we picked up every bit of three stations. But anyway, that was, our, that was our entertainment. And it was really competition because we would try to see who was smart enough to pick the real you know, person. And so after each of the panel members had a chance to uh, interrogate each one of the contestants, ask them questions, trying to trip them up, try to get to the truth of it, then at the end of the session, the host would say, Okay, will the real Mr. John Doe or whatever please stand up? You know, they, is it number one, number two, number three? And of course, you're all sitting on the edge of your seat, you know, and uh, waiting to see who it would really be. And, and a lot of times, you know, I'd get some. Well, no, some of the times I would guess the right one. And then uh, sometimes you'd say, my goodness, I would have thought for sure this other person was it. Well, you know, just, just with that vein of thought, on any given Sunday, on any given Sunday in our, across our nation, you know, that needs to be the question that all people professing to be believers of Jesus Christ would ask. You know, will, will the real follower of Jesus Christ please stand up? The reason I say that, and, and it may sound harsh, but it's the truth. It's been the truth from the days of the New Testament church beginning and, and, and what Paul is confronting there to, the, to this day. There are people in churches today whose names may be on the church roster. They may be serving in roles of, of leadership. They may give every appearance of being a follower of Jesus Christ when in actuality, the truth be known, they are superficial, pretend Christians. So on every Sunday, the question ought to somehow come across, will the real 
followers of Jesus Christ, stand up. If you are duping yourself, convincing yourself that somehow you can get by being a superficial Christian. Dear friend, let me just tell you out of the depth of my heart with the sentiment of love and concern. You, you may fool your family. And you may fool your friends. You may fool even your church family. But the fact is the scripture tells us you will not fool God. There will come a day where he will sort out those who are sincere, authentic followers of Jesus Christ from those who are pretenders. And so as we look at this passage in chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians, it's, it, this is Paul's actual third letter to the church at Corinth. We know that the second letter, the harsh letter, was lost. So we're looking at his final letter to the church at Corinth. And this, as Pastor Tim alluded to, these, these are the closing words. And, and Paul has had to deal with this troubled church. I mean, my goodness, they're practicing immorality. They've got divisions and dissensions going on and, and improper attitudes. And, and then to throw into the midst, you've got a group of the people there. There's some of them that are just troublemakers. Troublemakers for the church, troublemakers for the apostle Paul because they're questioning the authenticity of Paul's calling. His credentials, if you will, to be an apostle. They're trying to create, you know, doubt in the hearts of the mind, in the minds of the, the, the people. And so, you know, Paul is, is, is addressing, you know, that as well. So they're trying to put Paul on the defensive. And Paul basically says in, in, in the beginning of this chapter, he said, I, I will be coming. I'm coming again. I, I, I'm coming up there. Kind of like when my parents or my dad, particularly when me and my brother would be cutting up upstairs, supposed to be after bedtime, you know, and he'd say something very, you know, affectionate like, don't make me come up there. And a few times we made that tragic mistake. We made him come up there. Paul said, I don't, you know, I'm coming up there. And when I come, I will certainly authenticate myself. I'll have witnesses to back up. There'll be no doubt in your minds who I am and who is in me. But then he does a, a, a cunning thing. He flips the coin over. And now he's putting his very accusers on the defensive. And for that matter, anybody else that fits the category of being a fake Christian. He, he challenges this, he, them. He admonishes them. Look with me there at chapter 13, 2 Corinthians verse 5. Paul says, examine yourselves. Take a good hard look at yourself. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Folks, those are strong words. Because being in the faith determines the eternal destiny of every one of our souls. Paul says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Prove or test yourselves. Do you know, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Do, do you know that for a reality? He says, unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Paul says, when I get there, there'll be no doubt in your mind that not only am I a sincere believer of Jesus Christ and he abides in me, but you'll find out firsthand that you are dealing with the leader of the church and I am possessed with the authority and the power of Christ. But he says to those people, take a good look at yourself. And as we've been dealing with the topic of real Christianity in the last message I preached, I preached what I, in my heart, after delving into the Word of God and seeking the Spirit's leadership, 
I preached the last message to you, what I consider to be the, the authentic gospel message. There are a, a wide variety of gospel messages that are being posed out there, folks, but they're not the true gospel message. Not the biblical gospel message. And it's a great thing when people respond to the gospel. It's a wonderful thing when people heed the call and come to Christ. But heaven's sakes, make sure you're doing it as God has stipulated in His Word. And real Christianity calls for professing believers to be willing to undergo and benefit from a spiritual, truthful, spiritual assessment. So let me just walk you through, just in this outline. And this is not exhaustive. I'm sure that other pastors could add to this and probably wish they could take away from it. But the fact is, this is what the Lord has put on my heart. As you take stock of your walk with the Lord or your relationship with the Lord, would you, would you just do this? Would you consider the direction of your life? Would you just consider, where are you headed? What's the direction of your life? You know, there are fallacies out there being promoted by modern evangelism that advocates what I call the, the, the spiritual easy street. Or some call it easy believism. You've heard it. People gain in eternal assurance simply by feeling sorry for their sins or saying that they've asked Jesus into their heart and then they'll go ahead and get baptized and seal the deal as if that's their ticket to heaven and then they say, thank you, Jesus, and now I can go and live my life like I want to. Folks, there's something fatally wrong with that kind of gospel and that kind of believing. Some depend upon past assurances. Or past experiences to gain assurance related to their salvation. Looking back to what they did in the past, there's a problem with that. You go back to verse 5 in chapter 13, you'll notice that Paul didn't say, examine your history, look back over your, the past. He didn't say, go back and try to remember a time that you raised your hand or walked an aisle or signed a card. Pa Paul is speaking present tense, and so should we. Paul says, examine yourselves right now. That's what you need to do. If you really want to understand the security of your salvation and the assurance of your relationship with the Lord, heaven's sake, don't go back to some, some vague experience that took place 10, 20 years ago and live on that. Look at your life today. Believers are called to evaluate themselves Every day. I'm glad my doctor only calls me in once a year for a physical examination. Ooh. But, once a year won't cut it, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to maintaining good spiritual health. Heaven's sake, once a week won't cut it. I suggest every day you do what Paul says to this group right here. You examine yourself and you ask yourself honestly with the Bible opened up in your lap. Oh Lord God, does the life that I live before you this day, yesterday, doesn't reflect an authentic, committed follower of Jesus Christ. Don't look to the past. Don't hinge on the things of the past. Our confidence of salvation doesn't hinge on past events like I said, raising your hand, walking an aisle, and joining a church. 
No, that won't cut it. Listen to this. I said this in my previous message and I hope it sticks with you today. The authenticity of your relationship with the Lord is not found in past events, but in the present priorities of your life. The authenticity of your relationship with the Lord is not found in past events. You can't go back to a time when you were in Bible school. You can't go back to a revival service. You can't go back and, and to some time when somebody talked to you and maybe you came under conviction and you made a decision. Folks, listen, I'm not discounting those experiences. But I'm going to tell you this. If that's all you've got in your account, you're in trouble. Because you need to and I need to every day look at our lives, be honest with ourselves, examine ourselves according to the Word of God and look at the present priorities. You want to get a good indicator of how you stand with the Lord. Don't look back to something you did that people applauded for years ago. Look at what your priorities are today. What are the things that are important to you today? What are the things that come to the top of your list And it shouldn't be your education, even though that's important. Or your career, even though that's significant. Your family, your friends, your social life. All of those things are wonderful. But ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. None of that will get you to heaven. Your priorities ought to be Jesus Christ. Him first. So when we consider the direction of our life, also consider that some settle for superficial associations. And I just want to take you back in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7. I want you to see Jesus is teaching something here significant that I think is important that we revisit. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. And I realize some of you probably may have trouble keeping up with some of my scripture references. And as I indicated before, I print out my outline. So to the best of my ability... I put those scripture references, but, but you can go back, and I encourage you to go back and read them. This is what Jesus said. He says in verse 13 of chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 7, 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way. I'll tell you this, Don't worry about the way. And when I say the way, that's the Christian life. Don't worry about that first. You just make sure you have gone through the right gate. Because ladies and gentlemen, there's a broad gate. There's an easy gate. There's a gate that's so inviting. It's not made up of a serious biblical commitment. It's made up of superficial association. And I'll show you that. Jesus says, make sure, enter by the narrow gate. Oh, it's tough. Now, once you get through it, it's not an easy street from there. He says, it's difficult. But we're not going to be so concerned about the way, the Christian life, as we're just going to, first of all, just make sure you get, you've gotten through the first gate, or the narrow gate. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about nominal Christianity. When he talks about there is a way, oh, it's broad. It's wide. I mean, it's the super interstate of religions. And everybody, oh, just about everybody. Do you realize the vast majority of the people that die on the face of the globe today die and find themselves in an instant and absolute torment where they'll spend eternity 
subjected to the awful wrath of God with no hope. Do you understand? It's not the majority of the people that are going to heaven. Now, Hollywood would like you to think that. You live your life like you want to and you die and boom, you go. Because God's good. God's love. That's not all the picture. Why do you think Jesus said, broad is the way? There are many who go by the way of nominal Christianity and that combined with universalism, which is promoted by so many of the liberal Hollywood celebrities out there. Let me tell you the problem with that. Let me tell you what the problem of the, of the broad way is and the easy gate is. It's deceptive, but it's disastrous. How in the world would you feel if you stood on the side of the interstate knowing that just a quarter of a mile over the hill there was a bridge over a gaping big river that the bridge was out. And you saw a whole school bus load of children riding along and the bus driver absolutely clueless riding along, speeding and having a great time and singing songs. And you just stood there. Watch that bus go over the hill knowing it would careen off into a ravine and every one of those precious souls. Let me tell you something. Magnify that by hundreds of thousands of millions. People cruising along. Oh, they got religion. They got some form of religion. But it's a deceptive, superficial, nominal kind of religion you see Jesus said in John 14 6 I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but by me he didn't say me and Buddha he didn't say me and Confucius he didn't say me and and Muhammad he didn't say me and Oprah Winfrey. He says, no one comes to the Father but by me. Oh, bristling up hairs on the back of their neck. The liberal critics are saying, oh, wait a minute. That's way too exclusive. How can you be so narrow-minded? I'm saying, I, I'm not. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. He's the one that, he sets the standards. After all, he's God's son. So you got those who have their loose associations with religions. Those people that would say, oh, come on, all religions are somehow going to go to heaven because after all, God is good and everybody has different ways of finding God and finding a way. Nah, nah. So the liberals want you to think that everybody's going to go to heaven. But then, you know, it's interesting too because you go to the opposite end of the spectrum and let's talk about the, the legalist. These are the ones that they're not, they're not satisfied with Jesus being the only way. In fact, they're not even satisfied with him being a way. You take the Pharisees and the scribes, for instance. They hounded the Son of God. They rejected the Son of God. They criticized the Son of God. They engineered his crucifixion. Oh no, they couldn't, they couldn't accept the fact that he might be the Messiah, the only way to the Father. So, you know, legalists, they got this impression that we'll come up with our own way. We'll devise our own rules. Shoot, we'll make them even more narrow if we can. And so through their associations with these unbiblical rules they impress or oppress other people with, it gave the appearance that they were righteous. Hey, there are quite a few people that 
give appearances of being righteous. You know, it never, blows, never ceases to blow my mind when there's some kind of a um, public gathering. With, when the media gets interested in preachers, something's wrong. And so, you know, here's this news conference and, and you know, they're out there at a certain location and, and all the pastors of the community are going to come out and give their two cents worth. And, and you know, you just look, look there. Some of them got their robes and some of them got their chains you know, someone got their little crown and hats, and you know, some are carrying their scepters, and who? Yeah, and, and you know, the old flesh in me said, "Yeah, I need to get me a robe." <laughs> but, but folks, let me tell you something: you can look righteous, you can have other people duped into thinking, "Oh my goodness, what a righteous soul he or she is." But you know, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, verse twenty, about those astute, self-righteous Pharisees and scribes. Listen to what he told his, his disciples about getting into the kingdom of God. He said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Surpass it. How in the world is that possible? They knew, law, they knew the law like the back of their hands. They followed every little law down to the jot and tittle. Ah, how in the world could your righteousness be more surpassing that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, their righteousness was self-made. It was man-made. Jesus would help his disciples to see that the only righteousness that we can possibly gain that will receive, earn us or, uh, entrance into the kingdom of God is the righteousness that comes in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says... For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So neither legalism nor liberalism provides salvation. That gate is very narrow, and it's the one that God designs. It's the one that God promotes through his son, Jesus Christ. There's only one way to heaven, ladies and gentlemen. It may be narrow, it may be restrictive, but it's the only way. The Apostle Peter there in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, he says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name in heaven or under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. So, first of all, which direction is your life going? Are you on that broad road? Seriously. Are you on that everybody's going to heaven road? Easy believism, nominal Christianity road, no expectations, no accountability, kind of live, you know, for today road. Are you on that road? Turn around! Turn around! Get off the road! You're headed for hell! That's as much what the Word of God is saying. But also consider the production of your life. Not just the direction of your life, but wouldn't you consider the production of your life? What, what is the output of your life? What, what is the, the fruit of your life? As you think about, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 15. Jesus said, beware of the false prophets. And I would insert there, false church members. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree 
cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You could insert hail. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. So I ask you again, consider the production of your life, the fruitfulness of your life. What kind of fruit are you producing? I'm talking about kingdom fruit, if any at all. You see, I believe that churches ought to engage in regular fruit inspection. I'm not talking about apples and oranges and bananas and that thing. Though I love fruit. I believe that any church that's serious about Christianity and about the faith ought to give itself permission. You, ought, you have my permission to examine my life. And heaven forbid, but if you looked at my life as best you know it, and you could see absolutely no kingdom fruit. You say, well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, let's just take the fruit of the Spirit that we read together in our responsive reading out of Galatians 5. Love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. Heaven forbid, if you're looking at my life closely as your pastor or as your brother in Christ, and you can't see anything even with a microscope, then you, you, you need to say, time out. Time out, Pastor Charlie. Let's talk a little bit here. I'm seeing more of the works of the flesh than I am the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Something wrong with the fruit production of your life. You know, in Titus 1.16, the Apostle Paul said, they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. There are a lot of people that talk the talk. But ladies and gentlemen, they're not walking the spiritual walk. They're sitting in church pews Sunday after Sunday. And they have the respect and the appreciation of all the other members. And everything looks like it's going along fine. Folks, we need to consider, not only when we talk about the production of our, of our life, what is the witness of your life? What type of a witness is your life producing to the world around you. Jesus said in, John, in John's gospel. Chapter 15 verse 5. He says. I'm the vine. You're the branches. And he says. Any man that abides in me. And I in him. Folks that's pretty tight. That's not just saying. Oh yeah I know Jesus. I, I believe in Jesus. Uh, yeah I had an experience with Jesus. Or as one liberal woman says. You know. Ask about her testimony. She says. Yeah yeah yeah. I remember the day. Uh, I got Jesus' telephone number, and we've been in connection ever since. I'm looking through the Bible. <laughs> mm -mm. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Any man or woman that abides in me, lives in me, and I in them. You don't get any tighter than that. Christ in you. He says, then they'll bear forth much fruit. There's the secret. It's not through intellectualism. It's not through hard work. It's through Christ in you and you in Christ. If that connection is there, dear brother, sister, let me tell you something. You will bear fruit like spiritual miracle grows been sprinkled all over you. Jesus went on in verse 8 of that same chapter in John 15. In John 15, 8, he says, Herein is my Father glorified. Are you, any of you interested in making God happy with you? I am. I, hey, 
Look, it was always a big deal for me growing up as a kid. I knew I was one of 11. So, you know, you had to kind of fight for attention. But particularly the middle child. Don't y'all feel sorry for me? But anyway, that's why I messed up. But, <laughs> but it always meant a great deal to me for my dad to see me plow a row and say, Charlie, you, did, you, you know you did a good job at that field. Or Charlie, you know you, you, you've really done good with this chore that I assigned you to or whatever. I mean, my father's affirmation meant a great deal. And even to this day. But even more importantly, infinitely more important, is my Heavenly Father's approval. I want to know that my Heavenly Father looks down upon my life and smiles. And Jesus gave us the clue. He says, herein is your Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God's looking for the fruit. Whether you do the fruit inspection every day or not, I promise you, God is inspecting your life and He's looking for the fruit and it pleases Him. And not only does it please Him, it makes you a viable witness as a child of God. On the other hand, if you're out there and you're engaged in the works of the flesh, calling yourself a Christian, you're doing great damage to the kingdom of God. You're doing great damage to the witness of this church or whichever church you belong to. Let me tell you something. It's important. We consider our witness obediently serving the Lord. We love the Lord. We say we love the Lord. We sing about loving the Lord. Jesus said, let me, put you in, let me give you a little clue in John 14, 21. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one who loves me. And in John 14, 23, he, Jesus went on to say, if any man has my word and keeps it, that's the one who loves me. And, and, and he who, who loves me, my Father will love them. And we'll come and we'll make our home with him. Has, has, has the Holy Trinity moved in on you? Does Christ abide in you? He says, we'll come and we'll set up house with you. So obedience is a matter, love is a matter of obedience. To know the Lord and what he demands you to do you must consistently, earnestly be in His Word. How much time do you invest studying the Word of God? I'm not talking about dropping the Bible and see where the page flips out and pick a verse and say, okay, that's my devotion for today. I'm talking about letting God's Word speak to your heart, inspire your heart, instruct your heart, convict your heart, engage in, listen, Serious Bible study and meditation is absolutely essential to the fruitful, meaningful Christian life. I thought about it, how ridiculous it would be if I went out and bought a manual on building a house. And Jan's shuddering to think even now. <laughs> be like the three little pigs. But, but just imagine, I went out and bought this manual, build your own house. And I got the manual and opened it up and I said, hey, that's great. That's great, Jan. We're going to build our house. So I get my saw and I get my hammer and I get my wood and my nails and I charge out of the house and just fling myself into the project. Sounds probably cringing now. You know? <laughs> and I'm building my own house and never turn not the first page of the manual. Now you say, that's absolutely ridiculous, preacher. Sure you would read the book. Well, you tell me something. 
Why do so many people professing to be believers in Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus Christ, launch into what they call the Christian life and barely ever open up the manual? And then they wonder why in the world the outcome doesn't look like the picture. Ladies and gentlemen, consider the production of your life. That also includes consistently reflecting Christ. Are you a reflection of the Lord that you serve? We should be. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And that's good. We all applaud that. He is. He is the light of the world. But guess what? In Matthew chapter 5, he said, you are the light of the world. I know tomorrow is that event that takes place up in the sky. And it's got a lot of people sidetracked and what have you. And yes, I'll probably take a peek, okay? But you know, you know, there's two sources of light. Of course, I know Asher knows this. And you know, the, we got the sun, it's real bright. You got to be careful about how you look at it directly. But then you got the moon at night. But you know, the moon is not an original source of light. It's just a reflection. That's all it is. It's a God-created mirror that at nighttime reflects enough light back on the earth so that you can have romantic walks with your sweetheart or you can go out and check the garbage before you go to bed or whatever. <clears throat> we ought to be reflections. Christ shining, reflecting through us. That's another thing that we ought to produce in our lives. And you know, the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, as he's writing to the church there at Colossae, and he's, he's, you can tell Paul's at pumped. He's excited. He's wanting them to see the full value and the privilege of who they are and what has transpired in them by the wonderful power of God Almighty. And in that verse in, in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul is saying, hey, listen, this wonderful, glorious, revealed mystery. That's what you are. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, Cornerstone members and, and guests, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's you. You are a wonderful, revealed mystery. You see, to the prophets of old, they knew that one day the Messiah was going to come again. They knew that one day somehow God said He would put His law on their hearts. They knew that somehow God would transform them as a people. They couldn't figure it out. It was a mystery. Then Jesus Christ came on the scene, and after that Pentecost, and the Spirit of God poured down, and lost, depraved, wicked sinners were suddenly transformed by the power of God. Mysteriously, they became new creatures in Christ. Paul says it's all about Christ in you. It's the hope of glory. Did y'all get that? It's the hope of glory. Every day you wake up, acknowledge the presence of the Lord's Spirit in you. You ought to almost shout without waking up the rest of the household and say, praise God. My hope doesn't rest on my bank account or my career or the popularity with my friends or, or who I know or don't know. No, my popularity doesn't rest on the stability of my health. My, my hope doesn't rest on that. My hope is in the fact that Christ Jesus lives in me. Many of you know that I'm a volunteer chaplain over at Forsyth Hospital. And once a month, I serve through the night so that the full-time chaplains can go home. Some nights are good nights. I wake up the next morning and say, wow, I didn't get called to the hospital last night. Hallelujah. And then there are some nights like this past Monday night where usually it's always after 11 o'clock. Phone to ring. 
I'll look at the ID, know exactly what's going on. But anyway, just to make get to the point, got called to the emergency department, and the nurse meets me as I'm coming down the hallway, and she says, uh, uh, chaplain says, uh, uh, the gentleman passed away that, that you're coming to see. And uh, I said, okay, okay. So I kind of did a detour. I didn't need to go in and minister to the corpse. I said, where's the family? So I'm going to make my way to the, to the uh, family room. You know, and, I, and, and you know, when you're going out late at night to the emergency room, just like in any other, you know, you don't know. I've gone into traumatic situations where people just uh, distraught and, 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 oh, man. Walked into the family room. Of course, the family was tearful. And I said, I'm so sorry to hear about your loved one. And, and I said, how are you related? And they shared. And his daughter looked up to me with these tears streaming down her face, but with the prettiest smile I'll never forget. And she says, my dad was 99 years old. He loved the Lord. And he's at home. And she said, I'm sad. We're sad. But boy, we're rejoicing for dad. No longer limited by the disability that plagued him, the pain that, that he endured. And he's, he's free. He's with the Lord. He's happier than he's ever been. Man, I felt like I was getting ministered to. I was in my heart. And of course, I was telling him, praise the Lord. Yes, the hope. This may be my last day on the face of this earth, and, and if so, I hope you'll miss me. But, but beyond that, please don't, don't hang on to senseless grief. Don't feel sorry for me because I live every day with a glorified, wonderful hope that was a mystery that has been revealed, and it's Christ in me. And the moment I breathe my last breath and, and my heart beats for the last time, I'll step over into glory. I'll be in the per very presence of the Lord who did all of this for me. Hallelujah. But you see, we have to take stock. Our love for the Lord... And our love for others is another production of our life. Do you love the Lord? Do you love coming together and worshiping the Lord? You know, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, you know, you know the, the passage. It's familiar to most of you. And, he, you know, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Now, this might be hard for some of you to believe. There are some people who just don't like to go to church. And they'll make up all kinds of excuses. But Paul, you know, the writer says, don't forsake this. Look for every opportunity where you can come together. And when you come together, he says, and exhort one another. Exhort means to encourage each other. Because on any given Sunday, some of us may be struggling and some of us may be down. And you know, it's okay to say, brother, sister, I'm praying for you. I know you're going through a struggle, but Jesus loves you. We love you. Christ is on the throne. He's coming again. This world is not how it ends. Exhorting one another, worshiping God and fellowshipping with believers gladly is another indication and unselfishly serving the Lord. We are to be servants. Christ told us that in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. He says, he called, it says Jesus called his disciples to himself. And he says, you, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles rule over them and exhort authority over them? He says, it's not so among you. For whoever you wishes to be great will be a servant. 
And whoever you, of you wants to be first, you'll be a slave. It's all about serving. He says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as, as a ransom for many. So let me review. Are, are you excited about coming together with God's people instead of making excuses for not being in worship? And let me tell you something. This is an important time that we gather. You may miss Bible studies from time to time. You may miss men's or women's groups from time Excuse me, time to time. And heaven forbid you'd miss a work day. But let me tell you something. Now I realize we have shut-ins. I realize we have people who, who struggle with legitimate health issues. I realize that, folks. I realize there are vacations. But I'm talking about the majority of the times of the Sundays. When you miss church, when you miss this gathering, when we look and we don't see your pretty face sitting where you normally sit, and there's no evidence of a justifiable reason for you not to be here, you communicate volumes about your love for the Lord. Because people who truly love the Lord, if they're physically able, if they don't have other legitimate I understand. Some people have to work on Sunday. I'm just saying, it is an important thing to be in church worshiping with other believers. It's a demonstration of your love for God and a demonstration of your love for one another. And fast, let me touch on giving. You're talking about things that should be the production of our lives. If you want to be authentic Christian, demonstrating your faith in Christ Jesus and that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then let's take a look at that giving thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 6 and 7, Paul says, But this I say, He who sows sparingly, as it comes to the things of God, reaps sparingly. But he who sows bountifully, reaps bountifully. Therefore let each person give as he purposes in his heart. Y'all hear that? I apologize for the times that I beat you over the head and said, You've got to get 10%. If we were still in Mosaic times under the law, I'd use that. But then I'd have to increase it because the Jews gave more than 10%. No, Paul says, let each man or woman give as a purpose in their heart. Not grudgingly. Not of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. I think the offering time ought to be a hilarious time in the church. People digging out the money, getting that credit, you know, that checkbook out. And they're just laughing. Bring that plate over here, brother. Don't be so quick. Hold it. I hadn't finished writing my check. Hallelujah. Let's do it again. Now I realize that's taking it just maybe a, a tad far. Finally, consider the culmination of your life. You know, the Apostle Peter, when we were looking at our series in Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Peter says, therefore, brethren, he's not talking to lost people, he's not talking to people outside of the fellowship. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, and he's talked about, letting the Spirit of God bring to you, verse 5 down through verse 9, bring faith and virtue and knowledge, godly knowledge, self-control, perseverance, very much like the, the fruit of the Spirit. He says, therefore, you know, if, if you... Do these things, you will never stumble. In other words, you won't fall into fear and despair over your future destiny. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Consider the culmination of your life. 
the, the, the final result, the ultimate outcome, what's it going to be? You say, well, isn't, it, isn't that automatic? Isn't that a given? Not necessarily. I'd encourage you to go back and read, but let me just paraphrase for the sake of time. But back in Matthew chapter 16, you know, Jesus says, you know, don't be so concerned about this earthly life. You know, because it, it would be a terrible tragedy if you saved this earthly life, preserved your popularity and your material possessions and, and your esteem and, and the good times and the social life and all the things that, that make, quote, this life so enticing. He said it would be a terrible tragedy if a person did everything within their power to save this life, preserve this life, and then lost their eternal life. What a tragedy that would be. Are you so concerned about the things of this world that you're grasping and sacrificing the things of God? You know, he talked about in Matthew chapter 7, verse 26 and 27, he talked about the parable of the foolish builder. And Jesus says, if anyone hears these words of mine and doesn't do them, he's a fool. He's foolish. It's like a man that builds his house on the sand. Sand's not a foundation. He says, and when the storms come, in other words, the judgment of God, that life, that, that soul crumbles, falls. What a tragedy. What is the culmination of your life? Will it face, hold up, resist, or, or, or endure the, the, the torments of, or, or rather the, the storms of God's judgment. But then let's talk about a secured salvation, not a wasted life. In contrast, I want to end on a, high, on a positive note. The culmination of your life, is it a secured salvation? Will your relatives, will your friends be able to say about you? What that lady told me over there in the family room in the emergency department of the hospital? Will they be able to say? There's no doubt. There's no question in my mind where they are now. We know the full fruit of their life. We understand the kind of a person. They live, they were on the right track all the time. They went through the narrow gate. They went through that difficult life of a disciple. Of, they were a sincere follower of Jesus Christ. There's no, no doubt in our minds about the direction that they were on, the road that they were on. And the production of their life. My goodness, as you look at their life and they were serving the Lord, they were obeying the Lord, they were, they were full of love and joy and peace and, and oh my goodness, oh there's no doubt looking at the fruit, the production of their life. Jesus said, anyone that hears these words of mine and they apply them, it's like a wise builder, builds his house on the rock. And the rock would be our solid profession of faith and commitment to Jesus Christ and Him alone. And those are the ones that have, in contrast to the wasted lifetime, for those who, that's the culmination of their life, but these are secured salvation. John, the apostle, wrote in his first epistle, chapter 5, John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, John's writing to these early Christians, and he says, he who doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. Or rather, excuse me, 
He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son, remember what I said? Abiding, living in, residing in, okay? He who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. This clears the bell. And then he went on in verse 13 and says, These things I have written to you who believe upon the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue believing upon the name of the Son of God. So let me ask you, what is the direction of your life? Seriously? You can dupe a lot of other people, but you won't dupe God, I promise you. If you're on the wrong course, I pray God gives you a, 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 an immediate course correction. What is the production of your life? As you examine your life, what kind of fruit are you bearing? Is it more about the flesh? Clothes, money, things, friends, social life, <laughs> academic accomplishments, career accomplishments. Is, is that the production of your life? Or is it the fruit? And what will be the culmination of your life? When it's all said and done, where will you be? What will you experience? Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you?